Welcome to Are You Real, episode 64. Hey, Roar Nation, hope you enjoyed that new clip by our past guest, Jeremy Shuck, also known as Remy Shuck. If you didn't hear episode 48 on Escaping Religion, I highly recommend it. His stories are insane and will bring you plenty of humor. His full-length album, Criminal Records, drops worldwide 922. Some singles will be available sooner to pre-order. It's an edgy pop album focusing on the authentic love and life with God and overcoming fear. But when you check him out, he's been compared to Imagine Dragons, John Mark McMillan, and U2. I highly recommend the album. Go get it and support our Are You Real community. Don't forget to get on areyoureal.org and order your book, DIY Remodel Your Life. Guys and gals, it's going to help you find purpose, find passion, get on track with God's will for your life, and just catapult you into what God has for you. So again, check it out, areyoureal.org, and then when you get on there, you click down on the right side. It's going to take you to Amazon. You can order our book. Also, before I forget... All you people ready to go to life to the next level, you need to go see Michael and Stacy McIntyre. They are going to be in Denver August 31st and September 2nd. If you don't remember Michael, he's a regular guest on our show. He is a phenomenal businessman and very, very wise. Him and his wife are going to be taking people on a just an adventure of life. It's going to be awesome. You can check it out at michaelmcintyre.com to apply. This event is for people who are looking for a promotion, going to college, starting or have a business, want a better marriage, or just want a closer relationship with Jesus. So this is Michael's words. He says, that's intense, it's great, it's hard, it's fun, but it's definitely the next level. So go check out michaelmcintyre.com, sign up, get to Denver, and let this event rock your world. Love you guys. Be blessed. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, and we are about to start something totally different. This is going to be fun. So I'm in my office in Amarillo, Texas. I share an office with another company for my construction company, and totally a God thing. This guy just walks in, and we start talking, happens to be an author, loves the Lord, and has an awesome history and a background. So we are shooting our first ever live interview. So that being said... Bob, you ready to rock this thing? I'm ready, buddy. So Let's I always go. say, are you ready to roar? I'm roaring. Let's roar. Okay. So, Bob, tell me a little bit about you and your history, like your background, some of the stuff you told me the other day. All right. Let's go for it. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so I'm a okay. cheesehead, diehard Packer fan. I got a friend that's going to love you as soon as he hears this. Well, you know, it's uh, Pack is back. That's right. Come on. <laughs> Well, we're shooting for the Super Bowl this year. So anyways, I'm a cheesehead from Wisconsin. I grew up in a church world where the Bible wasn't really something we talked very much about. So I really didn't know a lot about it. And after a rather disillusioning experience there, I kind of quit going to church for a long time. How how old are you at that age? I was 11 years old. Okay. So you quit going at 11. Well, I got into trouble because we were at a point in our 
particular denomination where we were supposed to reaffirm our faith. <laughs> and I made the unfortunate mistake of asking the question, can we study other religions so I can make a decision? <laughs> and I got sent to detention. That's awesome. Yeah. What did your mom and dad say? Oh, I can't you keep your mouth shut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was that kid that always asked why, you know. Yes, totally. I, I mean, I was just insatiably curious. Right. I, I wanted to understand, and nobody wanted to answer questions. They just wanted to tell you how to think. Yeah. And so I ended up getting a lot of trouble. I ended up not going to church for a very long time. And during that time, uh, there was a big revival movement going through the United States called the Jesus People Movement. I remember yeah. it vividly. I'm of was that, that the, generation. Was that, was that on the tail end, or were like you part of that? Well, I, this was 1975, okay. so I would say I was in the middle of it. I think it started in the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. So I was kind of the I was one of the younger ones. Okay. I wasn't but even born yet. I actually, my whole decision to kind of dedicate my life to serving God didn't actually happen in a church or anything. I had already heard it all. Okay. The issue for me was more, do I want to do it? Yeah. And finally, one night, God and I had a rather intense conversation where I finally said, all right, I'll do this. So hold on, back up a little bit. So did you feel like a pulling? Like you'd already, were you hearing God's voice at that point? And like you just felt it? And you well, I, I, I remember hearing this voice questioning, why are you running from what you know to be true? That's good. And that was, so for me, it was never... You know, it wasn't ignorance. It was stubbornness. In other yeah. words, I, my issue at that particular point was I, I wanted to be independent. I, I didn't want somebody running my life. I wanted to do it my way. Dude, I'm so glad you said that. So how many – I had that same view. So would you say most people have the view like, okay, if I give – the way church explains it, if I give my life to God – He's I don't gonna, have one. He, I don't have one. He's going to run it. He's going to tell me what to do and life's going to suck. And am right. I willing to surrender to that? Right. Right? And be a dork. Yes, and be a dork. Okay. Totally misleading. Yeah, totally totally misunderstood. So anyway, so I told him this though. I said, I'll serve you. I don't have a clue what that looks like. You know, I just don't want to be like one of those guys on television. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'll do whatever it is. Bitch, shout, holler, but I didn't know. I didn't have a frame of reference. I had no paradigm. I didn't have a clue. So I talked to somebody who, who said, you need to go meet with a minister. And I said, why? And they said, well, because you obviously don't know what to do next. And they'll tell you because they know they talk to God. And I went, oh, okay. So the next day I was introduced to a guy. We started talking, and about halfway through the conversation, he said to me, young man, you know you have a calling on your life. Like Jesus calls me, like a dial-up Well, I didn't know. I, yeah. I had never heard the word. I was right. thinking pig calls. Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> He's like, going to page me? Like, what is he going to do? Is, like, is he going to, like, ring my phone? And so, <laughs> like, I was clueless. Yeah. I was absolutely clueless. I had no idea what that meant. I was just not a terminology that I'd been used to, so... I had this rather puzzled look on my face, and I just said to him, I, I don't understand. What does that mean? Yeah. And he kind of looked at me like, you stupid idiot, but, you know, rather condescending and said, what means you go in the ministry? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I'd come from a Catholic background, yeah. and ministry for me meant priests 
and no sex. So that was that. I'm out, dude. Game over. I'm done. I don't, I'm going to do that. So I, I was like, it ain't my deal. And so he said, he said to me, he started laughing. He goes, No, 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 no. On our side of the equation, that's not. You know, that's not. That, you can get married and all that. And I went, Oh, good. So I, I said, But I said, I don't still don't understand. Like, what do I do? Like, what does ministry mean? Uh, you know, does it mean like I'm a holy man? You know, like am I Gandhi or yeah. you know Martin Luther King or what? I mean, what am I? Who, what does that mean? He goes, Well, you got two choices. You get to be a pastor or a, or a missionary. So without realizing it, I re- in hindsight, and I, I understand the fact that I was given a paradigm. My very first experience as a, as a new Christian was a paradigm that's the, or an equation, if you want to call it that, yeah. that calling equals ministry, ministry equals pastor or missionary. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so how do I follow this equation? Well, if I'm going to go into ministry... I, and I don't know anything, I got to go to school. Yeah. So they sent me off to Bible school. And okay. off to Bible school I went, and it was a great experience. Did you learn I, a lot? I did. It was kind of embarrassing, though. My first day at Bible school, they asked us to, to turn to Luke 10. Well, I didn't even know where Luke was. Huh. And then you when I, have, Is that in the Bible? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, the first book I actually read as a Christian was Ecclesiastes. And the reason oh was I was gosh. flipping through there, and yeah. I thought, I can't even pronounce this word. Yeah, so my what if this must be a cool thing? And when I read it, of course, it was the experience of my life. Yeah. You know, it was kind of the thing that actually drove me to God was this sort of emptiness in life that yeah. Solomon talks about. So, anyway, so here it is. You know, they're telling us to turn to Luke 10. The guy next to me helps me find it. I open it up and it says, Good Samaritan. Well, I had heard that story all my life as a little kid. And that was like my favorite story in the Bible. So very innocently, I go, oh my God, that's in the Bible. (laughs) And I just hear all these kids laughing behind me. And there's nothing like laughing. And then I realized over the course of a few weeks, I was the only kid at the whole school that didn't grow up in this, you know, evangelical Christian home. Yeah. So I was kind of an anomaly at Bible so, school. So I think the best part about that is, is you weren't churched. No, I wasn't. Yeah, I, I, was, I mean, that really is. People right. get churched. I mean, there's, there's a totally, you spend enough time in the religious community, you get churched and you almost, I hate to say this, but the truth is you almost become like Pharisee-like. Well, you become programmed. Yeah, yeah, yes, programmed. Right. Yeah, you get programmed. That's a better word. Yeah, well, and I was. I was like a, I was like a hard drive that, you know, that had no software, no operating system, nothing, and Bible school programmed me. Yeah. But what, what Bible school did is it reinforced the paradigm that, you know, if you have a calling, calling equals ministry, ministry equals these things. You know what I mean? And so, you know, the goal became I need to get on staff at a church or I need to go to some foreign country and become a part of a missionary organization so I could fulfill this calling. Right. And so it's it's a paradigm that's reproduced in every Bible school, every seminary across America. And so they program everyone to come out of there and you have what what I call a church-centric worldview. You know, you see the church as being the center of everything God's doing and those guys that are running the church become the... You know, the most significant thing or the most significant people that God's using. So that was my operating system, let's say, for probably a good 20 years. Okay, so take me out of Bible school a Mm -hmm. little bit. So what do you do? You get out of Bible school? Get out of Bible school. During Bible school, one of my roommates and I became very close. We ended up planting churches. Okay. So I planted three churches with him. 
Now, your friend Alan told me that you guys planted what we know as IHOP. IHOP is an offshoot of it. Originally, it was a church. Okay. The guy that headed it up ended up then going on and starting IHOP, which was a separate organization. Okay. So, um, anyway, so that was our roots. But even in that situation, I ended up getting myself in a bit of hot water. Nice. And the reason was, is at that particular point, we still had a very narcissistic worldview that we were at the center of, of God's universe. Yeah. You know what I you mean? You were it's, it? We were it. Yeah. We were the elite. How old, how old are you at that point? 25. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm it. Yes. I'm feeling very, very good very about my... Very confident about yourself confident and your calling. Everything. Yes. I'm the guy. Yeah, and what ended up happening one morning? We were uh, it was a I was up on the up on the stage, and uh, I had my eyes closed. We were singing, and I felt this little voice in my inside of me go, "Open your eyes and tell me what you see." And I opened my eyes, and I had the weirdest knowing. I can't; it's hard to explain it, but it was just like I had this knowing, and I realized that our church was sort of was sitting in a half circle yeah. and it was like there were rings like on a tree you know tree rings mm-hmm. but there was a, a core that were all sitting up in the front well, I call those the diehards you know and everybody up there they were all the ministry wannabes right they were the <laughs> whole core that were the children's ministry people and the home yeah. group leaders and the, the guys all kind of vying to be the next guys on staff and then there was this middle tier that you know, that were kind of the attendees and were very active in the church. And then there were these guys all on the end. And I noticed they were all, either they were athletes, pro-athletes, they were business leaders. They were all sitting on the fringe. Yeah. I heard this little voice say to me, those are my Josephs. They're actually central to everything that I'm doing. My heart's with them. Go find them. That's powerful. Well, I didn't understand it, though. Right. That's the problem. It's like, Huh? Yeah. And I hate those moments. That's the, earlier before we started the interview I was telling you about like my moment. You have those moments and you're like, but what does that mean? Right. Well, for me it was a collision of paradigms. Okay. Right? Because in that moment I'm thinking I'm at the center of everything. Yeah. I'm hearing something that says that these guys are really important the at the center of everything. Well, how are we both at the center of everything when they're secular, right? right. They're out there in the world. Isn't that almost God's like they're nice in Babylon, way? right? It's God's nice way of like slapping you in the face without yeah, actually saying you're not. It's it. confusing. I, yeah. I was I actually it was sort of like getting kicked in the solar plexus in that <laughs> it took my breath away because it disoriented me. Right. I was so running so intently in one direction and you know, it was like I just got hip checked into a wall. What ended up happening was I remember telling my wife, I just need to spend some time this afternoon alone. If you don't mind, I'm going to go back in my office. And what happened was I, I sat in my office and I opened up my Bible. I just didn't know where to go. And I opened it up and, and it was Hebrews 11. I thought, oh my gosh, look at this. These are all the heroes of the faith. I mean, this is the Hall of Fame. This yeah. is the, these are this the dudes it. that made it happen yeah. and the dudesses. Yeah. There's a few women in there. And I'm reading all this and I'm looking at it and I'm wrestling with what I'd just been feeling. I started finding myself asking this question. Like, who are these people? Yeah. You know, at Bible school, we were all taught they were a type of Jesus. 
You know, they were always the Old Testament was the New Test or the New Testament was the Old Testament revealed. They're all a type or a symbol or right. something reflecting. But yeah, it was never. Now that you say that, I think about it. It's never been broke. I've never heard it broke down. Well, it's they're never they real were. people. If you grew up Catholic like I did, their images were up in the top of our churches, and they always had this disc behind their head, and they were like six inches off the ground. They were yeah. like other. Yeah. Right, they were yes. this other, the others, they are others, <laughs> the others. You know, kind of like us, the guys in the ministry. Like right. we're other. You know yeah. what I mean? We can't touch us. The guys in the front row, they're like MC Hammer can't yeah. touch this. <laughs> you know, and so it was like it was like yeah, other. Well, so I'm looking at this, and I'm real remembering that all through Bible school and everything I've ever been heard, these are the others. Right. These are these elite guys that are all in the ministry. Right. And then I started looking at it closer. And I'm thinking, wait a minute here. And I started on a journey that took me about six months. And I started researching and looking. And I'm realizing, oh, my gosh, these are real people. <laughs> these, Isn't that funny how we say these are real people that right. exist? They're real. Like, you know, so let's just take Abraham, right? Okay. So like Abraham, when you ask people, you go, okay, who's Abraham? You just say he's the father of the faith. Right. He's, he's the, the father of the faith. Right. right. So how did that happen? Right. Well, he's really the father of the Hebrew people, technically. Okay. Right? He's the father. Well, how did that happen? Uh, really simple. Uh, yeah, he had sex with yeah, his wife. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it didn't really, it wasn't like anything special he did. Right. He just was a father. Like right. he did the natural thing that all fathers do. Right. So he procreated, and that's yeah. how he became a father, right? Yeah. What else is he famous for? He, well, he screwed that up, too. Yeah, well, no, yeah, don't we all? Yeah. Isn't that the story of the Bible? <laughs> so he does that, and then, then we hear this moment where God asks him about, you know, about his son, you know. Right. Well, that, what, takes a half a day, right? And he's, so when you start all the things that we talk about Abraham that identify who Abraham is to us and wait, what makes him all special, what take up 24 hours of his life. The guy lived 175 years. Yeah. So my question was, well, what did he do the other 175 years and 364 days? Yeah. And you know what he did? He was a cattle rancher. Yeah. He was a businessman. He was a business guy. Yeah. Like I tell people this all the time. I go, if, if Abraham lived today, He'd be driving 50,000 head of cattle in Texas, right? He'd be driving a pickup truck with a gun rack. He could be Texan. Well, I've got a book coming out hopefully next year. And one of the things I point out in the book is if you really want to understand Abraham's family, all you have to do is go back to the 1980s television show Dallas. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? You got Mr. Ewing, Mrs. Ewing, Lot is JR, you know, the troubled nephew that gets always in trouble. I mean, Abraham spends all his life sorting out messes, making messes and sorting them out. I mean, his life is complete chaos. His family's totally dysfunctional. Like us. Right? Just like us. So one of the things that's happened to me over the years is that I began to develop a whole different, you know, a whole different teaching, some some insight into a whole different direction outside of ministry. And so what I what I'm trying to get people to understand is is that I'm not against ministry and I'm not against the church because I think they're both really crucial to what yeah, God's they have doing. To have them right. They're crucial. What I'm trying to get people to understand is that's actually the smaller piece of a much bigger picture Amen. that God's. After and that some of the most influential people in history, yeah, some of the most godly men in history were never on staff at any church anywhere, right? 
And I think one of the things that happens is, is when you get into that institutional church world, you get caught up into a paradigm that's very narrow focused. And, and we tend to end up driving everybody in, not realizing that at the what God's heart is, is actually to drive everybody out. out yes. To it's push everybody. Yes. Yeah, church is trying to bring people in. Right. When really we should be building them up and their gifts, their talents. And sending them back out. Sending them out and say, go do right. your thing. Okay, so at some point you mentioned you got yourself in trouble, and I just remember from a conversation yesterday. So you have this paradigm shift. You're asking a lot of questions at this point. I'm assuming I think you're on staff. Yes. Oh, yeah. So you're asking questions. You're on staff. You're really just messing this whole deal up. So what happens with that? Because I'm assuming you ask too many questions at some point. Well, at this particular point, I was asking the questions privately. The guys that I was with didn't understand yeah. So what I ended up doing, which was kind of fun, was I decided to have breakfasts at Danny's. And there was a whole bunch of young guys. They were all in their 20s like me who were all being sucked in with the ministry vacuum. Right. They were all being sucked in because this church that we were a part of was high energy, growing rapidly. I mean, it was like a comet. And, and it's it, fun. And you it's get fun caught, and you exciting. You get caught up in it because, yeah, right. it's exciting. It's big. It's right. new. Yeah, you feel the energy. And so a lot of these young guys were, were being caught up in that and they were they were being torn, you know, between some things that they were feeling inside and really, though, if they were spiritual, they'd be desiring they would, ministry. Yeah, they would desire something else. So what I did was my peers didn't understand what was going on. They thought I was a little maybe off the reservation a little bit. But so what I did was is I, I started meeting with them at breakfasts at Denny's. Yeah. And so what we would do to get a dozen guys, you know, 10, 12 guys every every morning, we go to Denny's and I just started sharing with them the stuff that I, I was seeing. I, I literally started in Genesis and went back all the way through my Bible and looked at it from a very different paradigm. In other words, the minute you 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 read the Bible from a from a non-ministry, non-church sort of lens, right. right? You just move over here, you begin to see so many things you never saw before. And you begin to realize that God's as active out there in the place we're not supposed to be. <laughs> Amen. Using and so one of the things that I guess the two underlying tenets of what I do are most of what God does happens outside of church and not and through people not in the ministry. And the second thing is is every one of them is broken and dysfunctional. Amen. Like there is no group of people out there that God's using that got it together. There's there's not another Jesus. No. Everybody's families are screwed up. Everybody's struggling. Everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got. And yeah. and so there's this, I think the, one of the things that concerns me deeply is because of a lot of the paradigms in the church world and the need to have this sort of idyllic spirituality, I think a lot of people feel a great deal of pressure when they go to church to kind of be something that they're not. Oh, I think you everybody know? does. I mean, how many times... How many times have you heard, if I walk through those doors, uh, lightning's going to strike? Yeah. Because that's the mentality that I think so many churches, and I, I was there at one point in my early 20s, no. where you're, you you have this religious mindset, like, I'm better than X, Y, and Z. So people that are new that don't have their crap together, like me, that walk in, they're like, man, I just, I don't add up. I don't yeah. fit in. Well, most of the guys that I meet with, in my world has been primarily business executives, pro athletes, 
arts and entertainment, and geopolitical. And every one of them, you know, in one form or another, basically asked me the same thing, which is, what the hell's going on out here? And there was, I don't understand. It's yeah. like, I love God. Yeah. I feel God's hand on my life. I mean, I can show you specific situations where I know God intervened. Right. But when I go to church, I feel like I'm less than. Yeah. Like, it's like everything that I'm doing, the only thing that matters is I can give a guilt offering on Sunday, you know, <laughs> to, to, appease. to appease, you know, God because yeah. of my pursuit of carnal mammon. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I go there on Sunday <laughs> and I manipulate it into giving because right. I'm a bad guy. And, and so what I really feel bad about is there's a lot of people out there that our feet feel like they're being forced into hypocrisy. It's like there's a, you know, you know, you used to have that terms, put your Sunday best on. Remember, you know, put your Sunday, you know, get the suit and tie and look good. Well, I think a lot of people actually, I mean, that's a real thing. Like yeah. people actually try to look good for Sunday. Put, put your best right? face on. Exactly. And then Monday comes and I got to go back out there in the real world and it's hell. Yeah. And that's the truth. Right? I'm dealing with unscrupulous people. <laughs> I'm dealing with, you know, all, I mean, this is ugly out here, yeah. you know? And then I got to turn around and then go home at night and then be dad. And and a lot of the guys tell me, I go, they feel a bit like they have multiple personality disorder. How do you think, and I totally agree with you, how do you think we change that as Christians? So, you know, our listeners range from young to old, and I think some people are coming into this. Some of, like us, have come out of this. Mm -hmm. As Christians are living in the real world, not in the church world, how do we change? Well, I think one of the first things we got to do is we have to realize that the secular, sacred divide yeah. that institutional religion has created is a false paradigm. In other words, when God looks at it, it's all His. Right. All things are created through him. Right. In him. You know, there was a early Christian, when Christianity was first being birthed, there was a whole philosophy called Gnosticism. And it's something that uh, even in the book of Revelations, it talks about. And Gnostic, the philosophy behind Gnosticism was that everything that's physical is evil and everything that is spiritual is mm. good. That's not even scriptural. Well, and that's one of the things that, well, that saying, crept I, I mean, in. Automatically, I go back to right. Genesis. I'm like, he spoke it. it became well, physical. this is one of the things, that, like I said, the author to, to Revelations talks about this and about the fact how evil this is. But what's sad about it is that still crept in. I mean, yeah. there's pieces of it that still creep into our thinking that this is holy and this is secular. Yeah. As though there's this... This divide, like somehow, you know, it's good and evil. Right. Right. You know, I mean, th think about how many times you've heard, been told, you know, you know, get out of Egypt, no. get out of Babylon. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's all these we're cliches. In the, yeah, we're in the world. Yeah. Except for, wait a minute. Didn't God send Joseph into Egypt? Yeah. Didn't change, he send change, Daniel? To, not even just send him in, though. Think about what he did to save them. That's right. So they were a pagan nation. And he said, And them. he sent somebody to save a nation that was technically, quote unquote, pagan. Right. Yeah. I really think that we have a, that for a lot of people, they have a very small God. I agree. It's like they have a God in a box. Yeah. You know, they're they're trying to do what the Israelites did when they made this temple, the yeah. right? And like we're going to stick God <laughs> in the con in this thing, right? Yeah. And even Solomon tried to tell them, you know, it's like, you know, the idea of 
God being able to actually, this, the whole God is, is absurd. Yeah. But I still think we try to do it. And I think sometimes we do it with our, our way of thinking, our little paradigms, right? We, we box them in. Well, because we want to make sense. Right. We, we want in our human nature, we want to make sense of something. And I think even that goes back to what you're talking about the Israelites and stuff like even making the calf when they do at the bottom of the mountain because they want you want something physical to make sense. And when right. it doesn't make sense to us and it's spiritual, we like panic internally and what is God doing? Right. So we almost want a like a cro- or a marker in the road per se or something to right. go back to. So I think often we want a God we can control. I think one, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I mean it's sad in a way. I, I, one of the things that concerns me deeply is is the way. Christianity has sort of devolved into this form, formulaic sort of mentality. It's yeah. like if you go look at so many of the top-selling Christian books, they're all how-tos. Right. And the two things, the two sides of the equation are I want something and God can give it give to me. me. If and, I so, do this. and if I do these things, this is how I'm going to get it. And what's scary, what, what bothers me is, is that in my lifetime, it's completely switched. It used to be became Christians to serve God and we laid our lives down for him. The whole thing is turned around now to it's all about us and what God's going to do for us. Yeah. And that's happened in, in a generation. You know, and there's a there's a sort of a cultural narcissism that's infiltrated the church. And, and, and it's gotten to the point now that that narcissism has become formalized, you know, formulaic. And so if we do these five steps, God's going to bless us. Yeah. And then when everybody has a meltdown, when the five steps don't work and they either got, it's your fault because you don't me, have right? enough faith yeah. or, you know, God doesn't love you or, you know what I mean? And it's, it, it's never the fact that maybe God doesn't fit in, in your nice, yeah. neat, tiny little <laughs> in formula. Your top five checkbox. Whose fault is it? It's all, you know, it's all, we always want to know who do we blame? Right. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit, we're going back to the life journey. So you had to, we just hit two polar opposites, like where you're at, where you started. So just take me into the trajectory of going in the direction where you're at now, because somewhere you had to make a radical shift in church, what you're thinking. There had to be like a fork in the road. It was left or right. Well, it ended up, I ended up finding myself unsure of which way to go. I, I realized my ministry colleagues kind of thought me to be eccentric and were a little bit confused. So I ended up going back into the business world in the 1990s. I actually ran a Christian record company, and that was sort of in the middle. Really? Yeah. Who'd you... It was... We called it Seventh Time Music. Okay. We did a lot of uh, contemporary Christian worship music. Is there some bands or some people? Well, there was a... Kind of the driving force was a guy by the name of Kevin Prosh, who actually lived here in Amarillo for a while. Okay. And... uh, but what we were doing is we were contemporizing Christian worship music. And that what we were doing is, is we were one of the first people to actually take it out into the clubs. Okay. And it was kind of interesting. And we do, the other, we do it the other way. I remember we would be doing these worship concerts. And then in the middle of the worship concert, we would kick into Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl. <laughs> and it was fascinating. Yeah. Because all the sort of pharisaical, self-righteous, religious people would all have a meltdown. And all the people that were caught up in the moment, they, they just care. kept, it's on, just going kept on going. It was yeah. just like... And one of the things... You know that, what's funny about that is if you have a religious spirit on you, and I'm yeah. sorry, people just get it. If you're in that moment and you get that offended... 
you really need to check your heart because you automatically like I can see it now. Yeah. The minute it happens, I'm like, oh man, they just need to get set free. Because well, again, it gets back to those paradigms, yeah. right? It gets back to these little formulas. We don't, you know. And one of the chapters that I have in my in my book coming out will be God is speaking through the music, and I think there are all of us would would can think back of moments in our life where songs we heard on the radio had profound spiritual meaning to us, right? And it didn't come through church. It didn't come through some Christian artist, even though the artist on the radio might have been a Christian, Christian, right? We didn't ever think about it in that terms. You know, we, again, got in a box, you know, oh, it's got to come through this way. And so anyway, so I did that for a while. And then I've been in the business world the the whole time as I've been doing this, there's been this constant life coaching thing that's happened in the the background. And the reason it stayed in the background was, is there was no place, there was no institutional religious context that wanted or understood what I was doing. Okay. And so I ended up finding myself, I, I, I mean... I, I feel terrible like saying this because it's going to sound really sacrilegious, but I felt like Jesus with Nicodemus. Like my life was all these guys coming, going, hey, a friend told me that you could help me. Here's my situation. I, I love God. I am so confused. Right. I don't know what to do. I go to church on Sunday and it's like I'm on another planet. Maybe it's funny. I, I'm glad you brought that up because how many times you just feel like you don't fit in. Right. Like you have, I love the Lord. I'm called to whatever music, business, sports, but you I don't guys know are what to do with Yeah, that. What, what do I do with that? And, and all of a sudden, I come to church and I'm like, but I don't fit in here. And then, but I don't fit in at work either because I'm quote unquote a Christian. Well, I'll tell you a story. Tell you a story. This is this is fascinating. This is the mentality that guys out there in the business will have to deal with. I one of my longtime colleagues and is a guy who was the head of the wealth management division for Deutsche Bank, which is one of the largest banks in the world. I mean, this guy traveled all over the world, meeting with the movers and shakers, the decision makers. I mean, the the people that controlled where the world was going and loved God with a passion, went to a small church in Frankfurt and he calls me one day and goes, I don't get it. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, I don't get it. I really, it's so frustrating. He goes, every Sunday I go to church. And my pastor says to me, when are you going to quit your job so you can come on staff and serve God? Dude, that just pisses me off. Just just hearing that just irritates me. And he said, he goes, what is it about guys in the ministry who can only see the hand of God in ministry ministry through their church? He goes, I go, he goes, this guy has no clue about my world. Yeah. He doesn't understand the people that I talk to and the influential conversations we have. Yeah. On a world level. On a, yeah. I mean, you're global, about micro and macro. Right. I mean, tiny. So you see what I'm getting? And, and that's my world. I, I live with, I live and work and, and my heart is for those kind of guys. So I've done that. And then where it's all kind of coming together recently is I decided last year to go ahead and do this full time. It's gotten to a point where I think, well, let's, let me just share some statistics with you. It kind of tells you where we're at. The millennials, 65% of the kids that have grown up in church refuse to even go in a church. 65%. So 65% of the millennial generation that grew up in church doesn't even want to go to church. Wow. 35% of that 65 actually view church as harmful. So, 
my generation has got a, something to deal with here because what we tried to build is backfired. Yeah. So our institutional religious thing backfired because our kids don't even want to go to church. Yeah. And half of them don't even think it was healthy. So we got a problem, yeah. right? The other thing is, is there's 30 million people in the United States have quit going to church in the last decade. A lot of them are my, I'm 60, and they call us the duns. Duns. The duns. Like it's all over? It's all over. And it's people usually 50 and older, been in the church world for a long time, and they're just tired. They're they're tired of And so what's happening is, and you see this in almost every denomination, my colleagues in, in the various spheres out there, everybody's hemorrhaging. Hmm. I mean, you don't hear a lot about it. One place you can go to get a lot of these statistics is a guy by the name of George Barna. George Barna is sort of the foremost researcher on, you know, what's going on in the Christian community. And if you go to their website, they just have oodles of information. And they're the ones that have actually done a lot of research on this. So what's happening is, is that there's a huge disillusionment right now. So the Duns are going, wait a minute, you know, we signed up and this, we really didn't get out of it what we thought we were going to get out of it. Yeah. And what the Duns are doing, which has been fascinating, is they've been tracking them. And the Duns are basically, it's not that they don't go to church. They actually get together with their friends on a Friday or Saturday night, serve wine and and talk about what God's doing in their lives. Like, it's it's relational. It's yeah. like they, they don't want to be preached at anymore. No more show. They've I don't want to go to church. You know, they've heard all the stories. They don't want to get served coffee anymore. You know, it's just like, can I just be with a group of people that I know, that I've walked life out. We know each other. We've seen each other's warts. We just want to have honest, transparent conversation <laughs> about our journey with God without yeah. any pressure. And so that's the Duns and the Millennials just won't even go in a church. And so it's a crisis. We're in the middle of a crisis right now. And so I am decided last year that it's time for me to take what's on my heart more public. And so I'm having great conversations with the millennials because they get what I'm talking about. The concepts, the ideas. Basically, I have a whole seminar that's called Perceptions, Paradigm, or uh, Perceptions, Perspectives and Paradigms. And I talk about how we got to where we see what we see, we think what we think, and we do what we do. There's a reason why all that happens. And Our lens is the way we see things. Yes, and it's not always because of the decisions that you think you're making. There are other influences yeah. that form all that. And so when I talk to the millennials, of course, they're very reactionary, but it's because they don't want God in a box, right? They want a God that's going to change the world. Yeah. And they're very socially conscious. So it's like it's if, if our rights. church yeah. isn't like changing the world, I don't really care. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I don't really want to build a bigger church. Yeah. I want to help the poor. That's funny you say that. So check this out. So I'm driving down the road last night with my son. And he's like, Dad, I just I played college football on scholarship and stuff. And he felt like this. He feels this pressure to, to play ball. And he's like, I said, do you like it? And he's like, uh, not really. And I'm just trying to pick him. And he said... Would you be mad at me if, you know, if, if I didn't play? I said, not at all, man. If that's not your thing. It's not your thing. I want you to find your thing and do it. And he like, it almost like I could see the weight just lifted off him. And he said, I said, well, what do you want to do? He's 14. He said, I just, I want a business. Wow. But I don't know what kind of business, but I want a business. I don't know what to do yet. And we're trying to talk to somebody else. He goes, but I just don't want any kind of business. 
He said, I want a business that changes the world, that helps people. Right. And it wasn't, a, he said, I want to make money. It was about, it was about what he could do in the world right. versus, and that's that generation. It's like, I, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the church. What, what are you guys doing? I want to change the world. Are you guys part of the world? Are you guys going to change the world? Then I'm in. Yeah. But if not, yeah. it's not my thing. Well, there's great stories that I, I like to talk about in some of the seminars. Just give you one story as a, for instance, but if you go back and, and ask people in the church world, especially in the ministry world, if they know who Charles Finney is, everybody knows who he is because he's this famous revivalist. Right. He's a you know big preacher, got a lot of people saved. If you ask them who Edward and Lewis Tappan is, they wouldn't have a clue. You got me. Exactly. So let me tell you about the Tappan brothers. The Tappan brothers were out of Massachusetts. They moved to New York. They were business guys, and they got into the silk industry. Well, they, at the time, New York was very corrupt, and they decided that they weren't going to do business that way, so they came up with a concept that was called One Price for All. So they advertised their price, and they stuck to it. Yeah. Well, guess what? Everybody wanted to do business with them because they had integrity, Yeah. right? Everybody knew what they were doing. Anyways, they became multimillionaires. Well, what they began to do is get more and more involved in social issues. So they formed what they called the Association of Gentlemen. And they recruited other business guys at the same time to be a part of this. The combination of these business guys and what they were doing, everything from helping uh, get women out of prostitution. There was a point where they were talking about 25% of all the women in New York were actually prostitutes. Wow. That's how bad it was. Alcoholism. Some of them were into world peace. There's, you know, there was all kinds of different issues that they were working on. The combined budget of the Association of, Gen of Gentlemen was larger than the federal budget. I know, it's mind-boggling, right? So, but I'll give you some, for instance, some interesting stories that people would identify with. So, so the Taffins decide they're going to get some Bible schools going, but they want to train not only ministry guys, but they want to train ministry guys that are going to be socially proactive. Okay. And their big issue is they're abolitionists. They want to get rid of slavery. Okay. okay? So what happens is, is they help fund a place called Lane Seminary. Lane Seminary was in Cincinnati. And if you understand how the West developed, is everybody came down the whole Ohio River from the okay. East. And Cincinnati was right on the river. And so anyways, that was the frontier. Well, Lane, the guy that they put in charge of Lane Seminary was one of their pastor friends from the East Coast, and he brought his whole family out there. He had a daughter named Harriet. Harriet was about 20 years old at the time, and anyway, she joined a club, and a writing club at the university, and she met a guy there who was a professor. And anyways, she ends up writing a book, and this book is called... Uncle Tom's Cabin. Okay? Yeah. So, but Uncle Tom's Cabin originally wasn't published as a book. It was published as weekly articles and then later compiled in a book. Like a blog the, post. Right. <laughs> this is considered to the day, this day, yeah. the single most influential book in American history. Wow. And it was written by the daughter of, you know, the president of the school. You know, who married one of the professors there. Sure. I mean, it, when Abraham Lincoln ended up meeting her, he goes, oh, you're the little woman that started this dang war. Wow. <laughs> but they That's also, powerful, yeah, man. they also then built another university up in northern Ohio called 
Oberlin University, and they sent Charles Finney out there to be the president of it. And it was all abolitionists, people like that. They graduated the second woman ever in the whole United States with a degree. So they gave women the right to earn an education, which was unheard of. So they were everyday people. Right. Changing and shifting culture. Right. But they weren't pastors. They weren't. No, they were business guys. Everyday people. They they graduated the first black man to get a degree. Came from Oberlin College. Really? Yes. I mean, these guys were so far ahead of the curve. Yeah. And you know why they ended up doing it? It's because they tried to do it through the institutional church world and they couldn't do it. Yeah. They actually, funny enough, they actually came up with the con- this concept called pilgrim churches. Hmm. And what they what happened in, back in the day was church, the way churches set up, there was no tithes and offerings. You paid a pew tax. So you had these churches, <laughs> right? Is, as this is my pew? Yeah. yeah and, okay. and, and so the rich people got all the pews up oh in front, right? Gosh. Well, guess what? The poor people either couldn't come or they got stuck up in the balcony. Well, Lewis Tappan... This is history. Yeah. So Lewis Tappan builds a church for Finney down... It's called Broadway Tabernacle. It's down okay. right in the middle of New York. Yeah. They actually built... Have you ever seen the movie Gangs of New York? I think so. Yeah, it's about it's got Daniel Day Lewis in it, Leonardo DiCaprio, and it's all about the violence at the Five Points, which was this where five neighborhoods all came together, and it was this game. They built the church right in the middle of this, one of these pilgrim oh churches, gosh. right? And they they actually did away with the pew tax because their whole thing was we need to get poor people in here. Yeah, right. In fact, um, there's a story that one day Lewis comes into the Broadway Tabernacle. And Finney had put all the black people up in the balcony. And Lewis Tappan had a meltdown. Like yeah. he took Finney in the back and said, I'll be back here next week. And if those people are on the front row, you're out of here. That's awesome. So, I mean, these guys, I mean, these are business guys. This isn't yeah. Martin Luther King, pastor, leading right. them, right? These are silk merchants from New York. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, and this, this story goes on and on because they, you know, Samuel Morris from Morris Code. Another godly guy that was one of their friends that were part of this. But, I mean, there's story after story after story. These were Christian business guys that actually changed America. Wow. Those are the stories that we don't hear about in church. We hear about the faith and think, I have to get into. Well, you hear about all the revivalists. You hear about D.L. Moody. Moody and Finney and You know who you don't hear about? Cyrus McCormick. You see, D. Cyrus McCormick was the money guy behind D.L. Moody. Wow. Cyrus McCormick was the guy that so international movie, harvester, yeah. right? He was the guy that developed, that discovered the reaper. I mean, he invented the whole wow. reaper, changed agriculture in America. You tell me that's not a God thing. God just downloads that. Agriculture in America owes what it has to Cyrus McCormick. I mean, they literally transformed the whole industry. That's amazing. And nobody hears these stories. Yeah, you need to hear those stories because it inspires the everyday person to say, hey, what I'm doing is okay. It is enough. It's not a more than, less than. Well, it also tells you that God is not exclusively working through religious institutions. Right. His hand is there. Yeah. He's got people involved yeah, that it plays a place. Right. But the bigger picture is is culture and society. But, but the thing is I go back to is thinking that's a small portion of, of the body, right? But they're like an arm or a leg or whatever in ministry. They're operating within their gift, within their talent, where God has them. Yeah. 
And us, whether it's business or music or whatever it is, we're operating where we're supposed to operate. And we're all supposed to be in different sections, but everybody, everyone's guilty of it at some point. But it's like, oh, well, you need to come over in my bubble. Well, one of the things I try to do, with, and which is really important for me, is the reason why I'm on a mission to kind of re get people to think differently is because if you're being told over and over again that you're out there in the secular world where God isn't, guess who you're not looking for? I would say not looking God, for God, man. Right? Yeah. He's not out there. Because he's not there. So right? He's go, over here at the, with the holy people. Him, yeah. Right? He's over there at the holy place yeah. with the holy people. And yet, when you go back and you read the Bible and you go through it all, you begin to realize that that's actually a false paradigm. You talk about an internal struggle that you would have constantly just thinking about like, well, I'm out here. God's over there. So he must not love me or be with me because I'm doing X, Y, or Z. I did it. I struggled with it for years in business. Sure. I thought. I had well, to again, you get you're caught up in the in this false paradigm. This yeah. is secular. This is sacred. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. Yeah. Not in God's idea. Yeah. It's all his. It's like a hologram that we've made up, and somebody needs to go turn off the projector. You know, I write a blog on my website. You know, and I've been talking a lot about Joseph, really, because he's sort of the patron patron saint of a lot of what I'm talking about. But you know, in the sort of depending on your flavor of the faith, you know, in certain circles, people who have spiritual experiences are considered spiritual people, right? Like if you get a dream or God speaks to you, somehow you have this elite status, yeah. you know what I mean? I and, special stamp. And, and we have this, I mean, there's just, we so, stra- everything's stratified in the Christian world, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. right? And I've always been mystified by this because who is God speaking to during, at the time of Joseph? Uh, speaking to Joseph, or just yes, but who did he first speak to? Pharaoh. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. In other words, here God is talking to the pagan king. You know how many times in the Bible this happens? Yeah. Right. So wait a minute here. So how does that work? If God speaks to the elite, right? What what is see? And that, again, these are all these really sort of weird little religious traps we fall into. People's theology because they'd say, "Well, God can't speak to you if you're not saved." That would really, I mean, that yeah. really. Uh, well, that, but even even if they don't even have that theology, they have, sort of have that assumption. It's yeah. like we have these little, and it's like, and, and I don't think people have ever stopped and really thought about it. It's like, why do I even think that way? Right. So, you know, as we were talking the other day, you know, it, it's like we have to be really careful here because, you know, you, you see what happened to the Jewish people, you know, from the time of their exile when they got taken into Babylon all the way till the time of Jesus, their religious leaders spent so much time going through the prophetic words and all that, coming up with a whole idea of this Messiah, what he was going to look like, what he was going to do, right? right? They had the they had the blueprint all laid out. Right. And then when God showed up, he didn't fit the blueprint. Right. So it can't be him. So it can't be him. Yeah. You see, and this is the trap we fall into all all the time, right? We have all these preconceived ideas, these blueprints in our head about what it's all supposed to be, and God could be standing right in front of us, and we never see it. So, one of my missions with the guys that I, I and women, but primarily guys that I talk to, is trying to get them 
to put on a whole new set of glasses to be able to recognize a fat guy standing right there. Yeah. He is right in front of you. In your business. In your business. So let me. I want to ask you this as we slowly start wrapping up the show. What do you feel like with what you do? What do you feel like your strength is in what you're doing right now? I think my biggest strength is seeing things in people that they may not see in themselves. Okay. If I could kind of define myself, I think I'm, I'm one of these guys along their pathway of life that they stop and go, hey, I need to get my bearings. Yeah, I'm in a fog or I'm lost here. I don't even know where I'm going. I mean, I thought I did, and now I don't. And what I like to do is say, no, no, you're actually right there. You just can't see it because you've been taught not to see it. Yeah. And so I think that's really my strength is helping reshape their worldview, their paradigms. There's some fascinating seminars that we do trying to help them kind of look at things is I want them to realize they're the chosen. Yeah. They're, it, it, they're it's God's not favorite. the other guy. Yeah. It's you. They're God's favorite. Yes. Yeah. It's you. You're the cho- You know what I mean? It's yeah. like me, like, like me, like my business. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the chosen one. Yeah. In fact, um, I, I, uh, one of the interesting stories is, is I met with a guy a few years ago who had come from the business world. And uh, he had gone into a, a church and become the executive pastor. And he kind of opened up and said to me, he goes, gosh, this is like the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, I thought like going from the business world to this was going to be like easy. He goes, this is like a foreign country. Yeah. And he goes, I'm completely confused. So I said to him, I go, well, you were the head of an HR, one of the largest company in the world. Let me ask you a question. I said, if we're living in the first century and and your boss came to you and said, we're starting a religious movement that's going to change the world. I want you to build me a team. Who would you recruit? And he said, wow, he goes, I've been a Christian 50 years and I've never thought about it. He goes, that's a really brilliant question. He goes, well, I'd go for the, the best talent. I go, well, what, what would that look like? He goes, well, we need scribes, you know, like people that can write and, and smart people like theologians and preachers. And so he listed all the stuff. And I went, well, I said, that's exactly the way I was trained to look at it, too. You know, I said, you're absolutely right. And I mean, where would you find those people in the first century? Well, he didn't know. And I said, well, we'd have to get on a plane and head to Jerusalem because that's sort of the epicenter of all spirituality. They're all the Bible schools and training. I go, okay. So we both agree on what we do. But here's my question. How come Jesus picked a bunch of small business owners and a government employee and none of them are from Jerusalem? (laughs) And he just leaned back in his chair and his mouth just dropped. And he goes, oh, my God. And I went, yeah, kind of interesting, huh? I go, maybe Jesus needed to get the job done. (laughs) Right? And and he starts laughing because he says to me, he goes, I was just at our last national convention. And he goes, I had 16,000 ministry guys behind me. And he goes, these guys wouldn't last a week in my world. And I said, exactly. So would Jesus need to get the job done? He hired business guys. Amen. Okay, let me ask you this. What do you, whether it's seeing people do, so we hit your strength, what do you feel like your biggest weakness is? Impatience. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, got I, just, I got Abraham in trouble. Did it get you in trouble? No, yeah, it's Sarah. Got no, Sarah. I got Sarah in trouble. I got Sarah. No, it gets me in trouble too. You know, I, I would not have been, I would not be a good farmer. 
Yeah, I, I, I just cold. waiting three, yeah. you know, waiting for something. Does to it need more water? Does it need more water? Does it need more water? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not seeing anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I was like that when we were a kid. You remember we had to always grow a plant. You know what I mean? Yeah, put a lima bean in that there. That was like the like, worst school project. I, I, I drove my mom crazy every morning. Hey, I don't see anything. <laughs> Is it ever gonna come up? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my biggest weakness. Okay. What is the biggest thing God is stirring inside of you right now? Well, I think we are culturally on the verge of a very significant shift. It's exciting. I agree. It could be scary to people, but my grandfather was a stockbroker on LaSalle Street in Chicago during the Depression. And I remember when I was about 11 or 12 years old. I went down to see him. He was in Chicago and we were being told about how terrible it was and people were jumping out of buildings and dying, you know, committing suicide. And I asked him, he goes, yeah, all that's true. He goes, but son, what they'll never tell you is all the people that made money. Hmm. I went, what? And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, there were people that were very smart. And he goes, they had, they had cash. And he goes, they bought things for pennies on the dollar and became multimillionaires as the turn, you know? And he goes, this is what you got to understand about life. Every crisis is an opportunity. Amen. And that has stuck with me all my life. So it, you know, we can, you know, there's a lot of guys out there doing the doom and gloom stuff. Yeah. And yeah, there might be some things that get a little uncomfortable in the days ahead. But if you understand what God's up to, there's always opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Okay. What is a book that you actually, no, I typically ask people a book that they've read that mm-hmm. they would recommend, but we haven't gotten into hit a little bit about your book real quick as far as, well, we have, I mean, it, it's in the manuscript form and, um, I'm working with my dear friend and editor, Brad Cummings, who did the shack books and, and the movie. We're going to talk a lot about the life of Joseph. I think Joseph is, very much a type, you know, he's somebody we can draw a lot of, from. Yeah. And then we're going to tell the stories of other biblical characters. And, and, and it's all about the stuff that we've been talking about all through our time today, which is basically God picks people that, you know, have screwed up lives. Yeah. There, there is no idyllic situation out there. Right. You know, it's, it's, we, we, you know, you know, I mean, there's story after story. I mean, people tend to forget that the, the guy that, all of Israel is named after basically ripped off his older brother to get everything, right? <laughs> yeah. He was like a con man. Yes. Like he was a con super man. Ma- manipulator, yeah. right? I mean, this is, you know, his we got name, prostitutes in here. Deceiver. Right. We have yeah. prostitutes in here. You know, we got, we got people that are murderers in here. You know, you know, it's just, it's, it's a mess. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, I think personally, the Bible is an R rated movie that gets preached as a G-rated one oh every gosh, Sunday. There's so just, much truth to that. If you if you were to put on screen the stuff that we read, yeah. it would be rated R. Yeah, I, I think that that's part of the confusion that's created, especially with the millennial kids. They're kind of, you know, they kind of got a little bullshit meter that yeah. generation does. Yeah, totally, I totally And they're like, agree, wait a minute, I'm reading this, and you're telling me this, and yeah. like, Somebody explain this and yeah, nobody wants to add, talk about right, it. Right, it doesn't add up. It's like the, you know, in constant we call it the purple elephant in the room. Like there's <laughs> yeah. a purple elephant here. You know, there's like a lot of really messed up people here. I love that, man. There's so much truth to that. I, I think as this generation goes further and that's, there's people who are willing to speak up and say, hey, this is a bunch of crap, right? And, and, and when we do that, all of a sudden they're like, I can relate to that. Yeah. Like I'm like that person. I love Jesus, but I can relate to that. I, I mean, I remember it's funny. 
I'm just sitting here talking to you about you said, you said bullshit and I'm laughing because you know if I was to say that in church yeah <laughs> people would freaking fall over right? right right but those same people that would fall over in church yeah. I just heard drop 10 times worse words in the parking lot. Right. And I'm like, really? How are we any different? Right. And that's the meter that I think this gender, that people are like, you know, I'm sick of that. Right. Like, I want the experience. I want what. I, I think I'm, what you're talking about is, is I think there is a desperate hunger for authenticity yes. and genuineness. Yeah. And I think if we can get back to that and stop the show. In relationships. Yeah. Stop yeah. the show. Yeah. Quit the pretend. You know, I mean, this isn't the Wizard of Oz. You know, don't mind <laughs> the, the man behind, behind the, the curtain. curtain, right? Yeah. You know, let's just be real. I think yeah. I think the world is looking for. Tell me, you know, tell me something that's real that I can sink my teeth into. And my, you know, my stories are, hey, despite us, God loves us. Yeah. And despite and us, madly he's still us. using us. Yes. It defies logic. Yeah. But it explains love. Yes. Right? Amen. God, you know, besides all of our foolishness, decides to say, I I want you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to use you to love other broken people. Yeah. Wow. You just got to love it. I I think, I, I hate to say this, but I think that Christianity has become so institutionalized that we've lost the simplicity of it. I think what's happened is is that that Christianity is actually so fundamentally 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 basically simple. And here's why. If you think about the question that the religious guys asked Jesus, they said, if you could give us your executive summary statement, like what's the greatest commandment? Like take it all, put it all together in one thing, what would it be? And he says two things. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. That is the essence of Christianity. Yeah. The problem is, is we've become so religiousized. We've got all this trapping and stuff on us. I think we forgot to love. Dude, just think about culturally how much if we loved God and loved Love people. Yeah. Well, you know the story he tells afterwards. I don't. It's the Good Samaritan story. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. And you know who the hero of the story is? The heretic. Yeah. The heretic Samaritan guy. So this is really that that like flips religious people out because the theologically incorrect guy has his father's heart. And that kind of that kind of because Jesus just I mean, just perfect example. I mean, he was the guy that flipped the tables. Yeah. I mean, everywhere, all through parables. Right. You see that stuff and it just doesn't fit in our box. Right. What it's all about, are you loving your neighbor? Are, who do you love? Like, who are you caring for? Yeah. Who are you helping? Yeah. That's the essence of it. It's that simple. And I think if we get back to that, and I think, I, in my view, I think that's what the millennial generation is crying out for. Yeah, I think, yeah. it, you know, underneath all of their social action is, show me the love. Well, it's all about human rights. I mean, yeah. like, just the comment that my son said, just, well, I want... What, I want to help people. Right. Like I want it. So, okay. How do we find you for our listeners, guys, gals, whoever, doesn't matter. How do we find you, what you're doing, be a part of? Well, I have a website, which is www.jocomglobal. So J-O-C-O-M global.com. Okay. Okay. And on there, you'll see my blogs. You can sign up for them. Okay. And I've sent those out every couple weeks and share some of my perspectives. Hopefully next year we'll have some books. You can email me at info at Joecom Global. Okay. If you're interested in hearing more. Yeah. Yeah. Call me. All my information's there on the website. Okay. Awesome. Well, guys, 
Joe, hold on as we wrap this up. Roar Nation, thank you guys so much for jumping in. I hope you enjoyed that. Something a little bit different than what we normally do. Go on our website, areyoureal.org, and we'll have all of Joe's information on there. You can check it out. Or Bob's information, he said Joe, so it threw me off. And you jump on there, we'll have all the links to his website, what he's doing. And uh, guys, don't forget, DIY Remodel Your Life came out a couple weeks ago. We got it on the front page. You get chapter one for free. And also, if you go on our website and click on the link, take you straight to Amazon. So don't forget to check that out. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Please leave a review on iTunes. And remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.